0: All right, you also get a warning that recording is in progress, but don't worry, only my beautiful face will appear in the recording, so please don't worry. Um, Any opinions you express may may come in the recording, but not your faces. Um, And of course, if you are afraid of expressing your opinion, uh, which today seems more and more common, um, uh, you can put it in the uh, chat. So welcome to lesson five. Jewish mindfulness to change your life. So uh, for those who were with us last week, and I'll first give an introduction before I get to my jokes, I'm sorry. I'm working the other way around this week. But um, if you were here with us lesson five and really over the last few weeks, and again, you don't have to be, but if you were here the last few weeks, we established um, that Jewish meditation is really about changing your mind. Oh, wait, I actually wanted to back up for a second. I I started off in in the first class of this course explaining that, Meditation that a lot of people talk about, about clearing your mind, is not necessarily Jewish. I do want to say that it is, as I said in the first class, it doesn't mean it's bad and it can be helpful and it can be therapeutic. I'm only saying that because, um, you know, I I actually take a parenting course, and for some reason, this person who uh, gives these classes, Jewish person, uh, religious, but she always has a meditation in the beginning. and, And for some reason, I don't, I usually hate the meditations, to be honest not really that, that type of mind clearing meditation type of person, but she did one that was really, really great. Um, I really liked it. So they can be therapeutic. Uh, but again, looking at it in that manner that it's therapeutic, kind of like medicine, kind of like a Tylenol, um, it's not necessarily something to be looked at as it is Jewish or it's not Jewish. It's, it's something that you use It's like, is, is Gatorade Jewish? Well, Gatorade is, uh, the, it's a nutrients that, uh, you might need. It's it's, it is what it is. And as we'll actually see today, Gatorade can be Jewish, but that's another story. Um, and not just because of the Gator Nation and, and, and whatnot at, at Gainesville, but uh, Gatorade can be Jewish too. But um, meditation, as we described Jewish meditation, meaning what is actually Jewish meditation and meditation that Judaism says you should be doing is contemplating deeply in different ideas that lead to mindset change particularly spiritual ideas, because spiritual ideas are not so tangible. We need to think about them deeply over and over again until they become part of who we are. And specifically recently, the ideas that we were talking about that we have to contemplate and meditate on uh, is the divine space and divine time meditation, meaning that God is found in every time and every place. God is found everywhere. Uh, God is found in every single place in this world. And he is found at every moment in this world, continually, as we spoke about in last class, recreating the world every single moment. And we therefore came to the conclusion if God is continually recreating the world every single moment, that means that every single moment of every single being on this earth is purposeful. Because just as any human being doesn't do anything without purpose, surely God, when he does something, he's doing it with purpose. And uh, that means to us that not only mitzvot are meaningful, commandments, the 613 are, are meaningful, but actually it means that every single moment of our lives is meaningful. And someone started asking at the end of last week's class, and I, I gave the short answer, but we're really going to delve into that. How does it actually look? What does it actually mean to live every moment meaningful? I can understand a mitzvah is meaningful, you know, when I get to go to solan Shabbos or when I get to give charity or, or, or so on and so forth. How do we make every single moment meaningful, and today we will explore this idea at length, and we will focus on the big three, the three big um, things that we spend most of our life doing, and anybody can give a guess, what are the big three, what are the big three uh, things that we spend most of our life doing?
1: Eating is one, okay, anybody else? Work. Work, okay, two, yes.
0: Davening ah no nah, well, most of us don't spend most of our life davening How of mm-hmm. i wish i wish we would spend most of our life davening sleeping sleeping uh, yes, sleeping sleeping yes yeah, sleeping, sleeping, yeah. sleeping probably takes up the most so uh between work and sleeping they, they probably take the most of our life and then there's eating um davening maybe for some people will take up more time than their uh, uh than their eating but uh I'm not sure. That, that's that's a good question. Depends on every person. So we're going to talk about the big three, eating, sleeping, and drinking, all not technically mitzvahs. And we are going to find out um, how all three of those items, we can bring meaning into it. You know, as I said earlier, as we said a moment ago, if God is creating me every single moment with purpose, that means that when he's creating me right now to sleep, there is a purpose in that, and we are going to discover what is the purpose in it. I also wanna mention one point. Some of the ideas we're going to discuss today, as always, may have been discussed in other classes. However, um, we are going to delve more deeply in certain parts of the topic. And uh, really, I guess just to give an example, let's say I were to teach you an insight on Genesis, right? this week and next week. So both times I would have to teach you the story of Genesis, but I might be delving into a different idea within it. The same thing is over here. Although I have spoken about, um, uh, I've had a class on Mashiach last year where I spoke about how mitzvahs can really be extended to your whole day. Uh, Today, I'm going to take it in a kind of different um, road, different road on here. Okay. So um, that brings us to... Well, you know what? I'll leave the jokes for later when we get to it. Um, When we get to eating, sleeping, and drinking, let's first get serious. All right. Very serious. Good evening. So let's get very serious over here. Okay. Uh, I think I already said a couple of jokes within everything that I said. So um, let us start with this first topic. I said, based on the Kabbalists, based on the Kabbalistic understanding that God creates the world every single second and recreates the world every single second. I said, based on that, That therefore, every single moment in our lives has purpose. But where does it say that within the Torah itself? Where is there a source to that idea? So we're going to start with text number one, and this is from the book of Proverbs. So you know I'm not just uh, making something up willy-nilly over here, uh, but you know that this is uh, from the book of Proverbs. And uh, you tell me if you can uh, see that Okay. You see the textbook? Give me a thumbs up. No. Okay. All right. I tried sharing it a different way. Let me share it one more time. Three, two, one. Can you see it now? Can you see a textbook? Uh, it's not on the right page, but yes. Okay. Good. Um, so let's scroll down over here to text number one. A very short text. This is from the book of Proverbs, and it says, "In the book of Proverbs, the whole de'ehu behu yasher Student book page one forty-eight. And this is from the book of Proverbs chapter. Uh, we, we've got a we've got a hybrid. We're in person and we're on Zoom, so we got we got the whole world connected over here. Um, so he says, know God in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. By the way, for those of you who are on Zoom, just know that in person is always a better experience. But uh, <laughs> can't can't always make it right, especially if you're a four-hour drive away. What can you do? um so no god in all your ways he will direct your paths so what does that verse mean what does it mean no god in all your ways and he will direct your paths so as always we turn to the talmud and the talmud says in text number two bar kapara taught bar kapara means the son of kapara he was a rabbi the son of kapara text 1b and he says like this which is a brief passage upon which all fundamental principles of the Torah are dependent. Know God in all your ways and he will direct your paths. So he is saying that that is a most fundamental verse and all other principles of the Torah are dependent on this verse. Why? What's so exciting about this verse? Know God in all your ways, he will direct your paths. And so what Barkapara Kapara is shining a spotlight and he's saying that this, although this is a brief verse, a brief passage, but it's extremely powerful because really it directs your entire life. What he is saying is you have to know God, and not only when you come to synagogue, you have to know God, and not only when the rabbi calls you up, and you have to know God not only when you light Taba candles and when you put on tefillin, but as we will focus on today, we have to know God every single moment of our lives, the, uh, which is obviously in direct contrast with many of the uh other religions that are out there um where really there's uh to them mundane things are not holy that's why they have uh, certain rules against against certain things they're not allowed to do um there's the old story about uh the rabbi and the priest are sitting at a uh I wasn't sure if I should tell the joke. I cleaned it up a little bit. I'm not sure if I should tell. It. But anyways, uh, they tell the story. The rabbi and the priest are sitting on a dais for some interfaith talk. And the uh, the uh, priest gets his uh, big giant uh, pork plate. And uh, the rabbi gets his uh, little uh, kosher meal. You know, it looks like it's been freeze dried for a thousand years. And uh, the priest looks at him and he's eating his uh, pork chops. And he looks up at the rabbi and says, hmm, this is uh, wonderful. Have you ever had pork before? He says, no. He says, Never. No, never had pork. He says, "Ah, it's really wonderful." Uh, Then uh, the rabbi's wife shows up, and the rabbi looks at the priest and says, "Have you ever been married? It's really wonderful." (laughs) I did say that I cleaned it up. I cleaned it up. I cleaned up the joke. You see? All right. I understand that one. I cleaned up the joke. So, regardless, you get you get the idea that uh, in some other religions, the um. In some other religions, a certain, uh, you know, a holy person, somebody who separates from the world. And Judaism,
1: you. everything,
0: you can come to know God in all your ways and everything that you do. Uh, one second, why can't it? It's frozen here on my side. Um, okay, hopefully it'll show up. If not, give me a moment here. The Zoom is frozen to drop. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm not sure why it's not letting me uh, see the participants. Okay. Regardless. Let's take a look at the next text. And this text will delve a little deeper into what I just said a moment ago. So the next text says like this. He says, the totality of your behavior, this is text number two, and this is from Maimonides, where he really spells out very clearly everything that I just said. He says like this, we should direct our hearts and the totality of our behavior to one goal, becoming aware of God, blessed be he, the way we rise, the way we rest, rise, and converse should all be directed to this end. For example, and I think I have to uh, scroll down. All right, he says, For example, when involved in a business dealing or while working for a wage, we should not think solely of amassing wealth. Rather, we should engage in such activities for the sake of being in a position to obtain that which our body needs, food, drink, shelter, and a spouse. Okay. So he's saying first, when you're working, think about why you need that money to survive. Then he continues. That's not enough. Then when we eat and drink or engage in intimate relations, we should not intend to do these things solely for pleasure to the point that we eat and drink only that which is sweet and tasty. And we engage in intimacy for pleasure. Rather, we should focus our minds while eating and drinking on the exclusive benefit of maintaining a fully healthy body. So, so far, it sounds like, oh, uh, being a healthy body is, is the necessity. Um, so then he continues, therefore we should not eat whatever the palate desires, which would put us on par with animals, but rather we should eat select foods that are beneficial for the body, whether they are bitter or sweet. And we should avoid substances that are harmful to the body, even if they taste delicious. So, so far, he sounds like he's saying that, uh, it's just important. I'm just going to, cause I can't do something so far. It sounds like he's saying, um, just one second, I'm having trouble. Uh, somebody tried
1: getting on and I see I couldn't let them on, so I'm just gonna log into Zoom on my phone. Okay, yeah, so one second. Okay. I'm just trying to see if I could let people in. Um, okay. uh, so, so far what we have is that he, you met, if you
0: missed it, it was in the beginning of the text. He said, we should direct our hearts and the totality of our behavior to one goal, becoming aware of God, blessed be he. That's how he started off saying And So therefore, when you're working, you shouldn't think of solely amassing wealth. Uh, you should, you know, do it so you can survive. And why do you survive? So that um, you should do them uh exclusively for the benefit of maintaining a healthy body and then he explains further maimonides what's the purpose of maintaining a healthy body obviously to serve god now let me put out of it here because this is important um judaism just got a lot harder if you can't if you if like when you you know like when the first time like when you ask kids like how many commandments are there they usually say 10 or something and like the first time when people hear this like 613 they're like oh my gosh like wow i'm never gonna get this done right And then when you throw on them and not on top of that, I'm sorry to tell you, there's also rabbinic laws and rabbinic things you can do and can't do. Then, like, this is way hard. And now what I'm telling you today is not only is there 613 commandments and the rabbinic commandments, guess what? Life has gotten harder because now you have to know God in every single moment of your life. God doesn't leave you alone, Right you know you might say well it's one thing if there's 613 commandments and only 200 of them we could do today so i can sometimes you know have my like, good time i can eat i can sleep and then when i have time i work for god i'll do the 6 i'll get all the 613 done i'll get all the commandments done right in my free time but what we're saying today is no there is no free time every single moment you have to serve god and and i i, under, I understand and agree that it's difficult but based on what we said earlier it obviously makes sense if god is creating me every single moment it means he's creating me with a purpose He's actively creating me with a purpose. And then, so it begs the question, this automatically begs the question, if God is creating me with purpose right now, for what reason did he create me in a way that most of my day is spent on vanity? Sleeping, eating, drinking, working. Why does, In other words, if God is creating me for a purpose, think about it in this way. If God, if God created us to do the 613, if God created us to, for some purpose, 613 or whatever it is, why, did, why didn't he make it that that's what we spend most of our time doing? Instead, he makes it that most of our life, we're doing mundane things, right? Thought about it that way. So obviously, and what we've taken from the Kabbalists is no, is that every single moment, there is a purpose. We cannot say that just the mitzvah says the purpose of your life, because if that was the case, then why would he create the need for all these other things that we do? Right? God had many ways of creating us. He could have created us like angels where we don't need to sleep. We don't need to eat. Uh, we don't we don't need to exercise. We don't need to work. Uh, think about animals. Animals don't need to go to work. All they think about all day is about eating. Uh, you know, they didn't uh, the all day. Um, why would God create us in a way that we need to spend all? When you think about it, working you need a, not only you need a, like the time that you work. You need, there's all this preparation for work. You need to get a car so you can get to work, and then you need to spend uh, ten years in college and get in tons of debt. When you think about it, it, actually makes sense that from God's perspective, that there is meaning in every single moment. That being said, how do we bring meaning into every single moment? And of course, the answer is the only way is through active thinking and meditation. Why do I say that? When you do a mitzvah, whether you are thinking of it as a mitzvah or not, you are fulfilling the mitzvah, typically, you know, even if you have a very basic idea that you're doing it, right? So if you put on tefillin, even if you're thinking about the Yankees game, for the most part, you've you've fulfilled the mitzvah. Now, it's not the best way of doing the mitzvah, but you've done the mitzvah. Certain mitzvahs need to have a a general kavana, like eating matzah on Pesach. But again, you don't have to be so involved in the mitzvah to really fulfill a mitzvah, right? But on the other hand, when we talk about um, living with God every single moment in our neutral activities, the only way, oh God to sleep with God, the only way to to, uh, eat with God and to to work with God, the only way to have God in your life, the only way to, to involve God in every aspect of your life is if you're actively thinking. So when you think about it, really, Bringing God into your mundane activities is a lot harder than bringing God into your mitzvahs. Now, mitzvahs may be more demanding, like Shabbos is a demanding mitzvah, whereas eating and sleeping is not necessarily demanding. But the kavana required to bring God into your mundane life is actually a lot harder. And so why am I mentioning this? Because I want to put out today that although we're going to spend a lot of time looking at how to bring God into all aspects of our life, I don't want you to think that I'm aloof. I do appreciate that it is very difficult. And um, just remember that we're going to talk about the ideal and we're gonna give you a lot of ways to bring God into every single moment of your life. But I'm going to assume that most of us are not going to be able to do that every single moment. I'm just gonna put out the assumption, at least not right away. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work and some areas might be easier for you. So for example, for me, uh, working with purpose is very easy for me well that's my job my job as a rabbi very easy right but eating with purpose or sleeping with purpose is obviously harder um especially me you know I love to eat and I very uh, eat a lot but you know the the uh you know eating with purpose sleeping with purpose those are all more difficult for some people working with purpose is easy also maybe you're a doctor some people eating with purpose you know if you're one of those people who uh, really think before they eat and only eat exactly what they need to eat and you know, you, all, you won't take a morsel of food if you don't need it. Uh, maybe for them, uh, eating is not their issue with purpose, you know, whatever it is. So I'm just putting it out here that um, I don't want you to think that this, that when I'm teaching this class, that I'm kind of aloof and I'm not aware and that it's not difficult. It is difficult. That's what I'm trying to say. This is actually more difficult than doing a mitzvah in a sense, because when you do a mitzvah, wh- whether you think or you don't think, you have brought God into your life, but in your mundane activities, or we could call them neutral activities, unless you actively think you will not be bringing God into your life. Uh, I like what Keturah says over here that, um, I guess God is the ultimate helicopter parent. Yeah, I guess he is. He wants to be there every single moment. He doesn't let us go. Um, but as we will explore the class, um, we will see how, um, why God is that way. It kind of sounds cruel. Like, why doesn't he give us a break? Why doesn't he say, you know you can uh, you know here's here's life for you here's life for me why does why does he why does god want to get involved every single moment? oh david's here oh nice to see you why does god want to get us people are coming from everywhere jacksonville why does god want us to live um every single moment with him why can't he give us a break why is he so demanding He's so demanding isn't he we'll, we'll develop that idea So now we're going to explore how do we bring God into our eating, into our sleeping, and into our working. So let's start with eating. Um, So, of course, I have to start with an eating joke. Uh, And this is a joke that if you've ever been to my house for Shabbos, you've heard it. uh, But it's one of my favorites. I know, already getting the eyes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's the joke. So it goes like this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, well, it's not a joke. It's a real story, right? A couple weeks ago, I invited a teddy bear over for Shabbos and this teddy bear, he was just, um, you know, loved the whole Shabbos meal. He loved the Shalom and the Kiddush. He drank, he likes the bubbly wine. He doesn't like the uh, dry wine. But anyways, uh, came to the fish course as a, as a teddy bear. You know, he loved the gefilte fish, the salmon, the sushi salad. Uh, he didn't like any of the and you know, the spicy stuff on top of the gefilte fish, but it was great. He ate the salad with all the toppings, you know, all the five different salads we have on Shabbos and the baba ganoush, hummus, not a big fan, but uh, all in all, he loved it. Then came the chicken soup. He wanted not just one matzo ball, he asked for second matzo ball. And then it came the main course, he ate the chicken and the roast and the vegetables. This guy was on it. And he, was, he was like loving it, favorite time. Then it came to dessert. And for dessert, we had brownies and ice cream. And I offered Mr. Teddy Bear, would you like some dessert? He says, no, Rabbi, sorry. I said, what's wrong? The food is not good. He says, no, Rabbi, sorry, I'm stuffed. Okay uh ah uh, ah. Uh. Okay, I'm stuffed. Those teddy bears are stuffed. Um.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry. So
1: I love your jokes; they're awesome.
0: So, um, many of us, we um, we eat to get stuffed.
1: You're all lucky. That's the shorter version. <laughs> <laughs> that is the shorter version.
0: Yeah, I'm on a time limit.
1: That's a cute joke, Rabbi.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh, David. Yeah. You're lucky you came on. Okay. So, um, (laughs) so (laughs) the, uh, (laughs) by the way, I I can't, I, I, for some reason, my controls, I can't mute anybody. So I I do like, oh, oh, I can now. Okay. Um, I can now. No, you really do come on for the, for the jokes, but uh, afterwards then mute yourself. Um, So we usually need to get stuffed. Let's put it this way. Uh, what, you know, pick your favorite meal, think about your favorite meal, then think about what you would uh, normally eat at, at such a meal. And, um, you know, so let's say your favorite thing is uh, supper, then think of your favorite supper, you know, take, take a moment. Okay. Maybe it's breakfast, you know, so think about what is your favorite, favorite meal and your favorite dish. Now think about Let's say you were stuck on a deserted island, and uh, somebody was coming with a rescue plane and they could bring you food. What would be the one food you would ask them to bring? And I bet you it wouldn't be—it wouldn't be the same thing that's your favorite dish, right? You, you're starving. You haven't eaten anything but berries in days, and uh, you're probably going to ask for some bread and butter or something, right? So why the difference? Why the difference? Why is it that uh, you know typically we'll eat one food, and then when it comes um when you're starving you'll eat another food why the difference obviously because one is survival I'm this is second screen so i can see people on here one is survival and the other is we just like to eat we like to eat not typically when we eat is that me no uh, i'm just gonna mute all typically when we eat um Typically, when we eat, we are just looking for something yummy and delicious. Uh, You ever come home, look through the refrigerator. And by the way, some of you who are on these serious diets, uh, probably none of you and then probably everybody here, none of you have these issues. But like, right, you come home, you come to the refrigerator. Um,
1: Oh, my gosh, such a good joke about that. Got it. Mm Remember, it was something about the husband comes
0: home and there was a sticky note in the refrigerator that his wife left and he didn't see the problem because there was food in the refrigerator. I don't remember, it was a really good joke. I'll have to look it up. Um, either way, if you ever heard this joke, let me know. Um, but if we take a moment before we eat, um, you will recognize that you are really eating to keep yourself healthy. That's the reason why you're eating. That's the most basic, reason why you're eating it's called mindful eating right you you oh you're on too over there okay i i it's, it's i didn't see your name pop up did it pop up okay we'll see oh there you are just make sure you don't uh click your sound otherwise we'll hear everybody twice okay so if we pause for a moment um Oh, I was gonna say about this. Anybody here ever heard of the Heart Attack Cafe? Anybody heard of the Heart Attack Cafe? No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a cafe in Las Vegas. It's called the Heart Attack Cafe. They even have like uh, things called like the the uh, quadruple bypass or something, <laughs> where you can eat hamburgers that give you eighty thousand calories in one in one. Sorry, not 8,000 8, calories. Don't want to exaggerate. Eight thousand calories in one burger. They have. Um, that's why I said you have to you have to close your volume, so make sure you're not hearing the sound from it. Yeah, if you go on the bottom, you could turn off the audio. Um, I'm still hearing myself twice. Yeah, turn turn off the audio on the on the phone, or you could just have one. Anyways, the attack cafe. If you're over 350 pounds, you can go there and eat there for free. Um, so that's the type of a hedonistic life that we live nowadays. Are you hearing me twice over there? No. Okay, good. So mindful eating is really the first step is thinking, why am I eating? Why am I eating? And if we take a moment to realize we're eating because we needed sustenance, we need to survive. That's the first most basic level of eating, eating with a purpose. I'm eating, I'm eating so I can live. And just that thought alone, and we know it's true, but just that thought alone will allow you to probably keep on a better diet of all the things that you want to do. But we can take it a step further. That is really what the Jewish ritual of making a blessing is about. Making a blessing is taking a moment and thanking God for what he's given us. It's really taking that moment to pause before we eat. And so right off the bat, we understand Judaism doesn't just want us to grab and eat. I always notice this. Whenever I see uh, people eating without a blessing, it's really a noticeable difference. you walk somewhere and you just go like this, right? You just stick it in your mouth. That versus you pick something up and you make a blessing. Judaism automatically gives us a pause before we eat anything. Think about it that way, right? It's too often that we say blessing so quick, nobody notices you make a blessing, All right, uh, But really a blessing alone gives us a moment to think about the food that we're eating. And A, that helps us think about why am I eating? B, we can also think about gratitude to God for giving us this food. C, and gratitude can be not just God giving us the food, but everything that uh, comes into getting that food to us. If you, if you know anything about the supply chain today, you know getting food to our tables is not very easy. Anybody who's trying to get toilet paper during COVID, you know that uh, getting certain things are not so easy. And so really Judaism wants us to take a break for a moment, and so before you eat, we can think about a couple things. A, we can think about why am I eating? I'm eating so I can live, so I can serve God. B, I can take a moment to be grateful for the food that God has given me. C, I can be grateful for all of the elements that went into getting me the food. And uh, D is actually, before I eat, I can also think about all the mitzvahs that it takes to create food. And this actually brings us to an interesting custom. Um, and I'm not going to share it on the screen, but this is text number three. It actually says when we eat bread, when we break bread, we're supposed to hold the bread with 10 fingers. We're supposed to hold all of it with all our 10 fingers. Why? It says because there are 10 mitzvahs, 10 commandments related to bread. And uh, you may not understand all of them, but you know, in the Torah there are 10 commandments that as they relate to bread and therefore when one of them being chala of course, but there's many others. And so when we eat the bread, we're being mindful of not only physical gratitude of how I got there, but also all the mitzvahs that it takes to get there. And so really step one is 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 being mindful that why am I eating this to be healthy? Step number two is being mindful of the gratefulness in the food that I am getting. Step number three is being mindful of the sacred commandments involved. And now let's ratchet up a level. So, so far, those are very basic ideas, being grateful to God for what he's given us, and, and thankful for the way that it got to us and, 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 and uh, you know, thinking about um, eating for survival. But the Kabbalah adds another element to this. And the Kabbalah teaches us, and this is something we learned in lesson one and two, that every single thing in this world has a soul in it. That's what we discussed in lesson one. Every single thing in this world has a soul. And therefore, the real reason why when you eat an apple, you, uh, it gives you energy is not just because of the sugar, but because of the divine soul that is within the apple, that divine soul animates you and gives you spiritual en- uh, energy, too. Now, by the way, this really only works by kosher food. Non-kosher food, um, it can animate you, too, but it will not animate you in a good way, and it's non-redeemable. So if you if if you you know, if you eat pig and then you study Torah with it, that energy is non-redeemable. But that's, that's another thing. So what we're saying is before you uh, – so the cosmic level says when you make a blessing – You should think about not only being grateful for the food that God has given you, but also thinking about how this, the the spiritual energy in that food, and how that spiritual energy is going to animate you. So now your eating has become a spiritual exercise. In fact, um, they tell the story that uh, one time, the Shalah, he was a great rabbi, the Shalah Kadosh. He once had a um, question come to him back in the day. It was very common questions people would slaughter cows. And then had questions: is it kosher, is it not kosher? And he went back and forth and back and forth. And he didn't really know um, if it was kosher or not. And, and he delved very deeply into the topic till he figured out that the animal was kosher. And the rabbis asked him, why did you spend so much time trying to make the animal kosher? You know, looking into all different laws to try and find ways to make it kosher. Just say it's not kosher, big deal. They'll move on. They'll find another cow. They'll have another steak. He said like this. He says, when I come to heaven, I'm going to have a lot of uh, good deeds and bad deeds. They'll start weighing it on a a scale. And I'm sure many rabbis will come there and, and argue with me over many of the rulings that I gave as a rabbi, whether I was right, whether I was not right. He says, but believe you me, if I come to heaven and this cow that is really kosher and I deemed it not kosher, I'm going to have an angry cow in the heavenly courtroom telling me, why did you deem me not kosher? I was waiting for a thousand years for, for the spark inside of me, for somebody to eat it. Well, not a thousand years, only 20 years. For somebody to eat, somebody to eat me and elevate me. And you just deem me not kosher because you couldn't be bothered. He says, I don't want to deal with an angry cow. So I'm, you know. So I spent so much time to try and find ways to make it kosher. And so this is really the idea that, there's a spark of God, and yes, to are asking. Yes, it's the same divine spark. There's a divine spark of God, a soul in every single thing that we eat. That is what animates us. So, although a scientist will tell you, well, the sugar and the glucose, it's actually the divine spark within us. And God designed us that we need to eat physical food because we, there's a spark in that food that we can elevate. So. Taking it back a step. We asked a question earlier why would God design us in a way that we have so many physical needs? Well, as it pertains to food, God designed us in a way that we need food because there's a spark within that food that we can elevate. Now, does that mean that uh, we have to be gluttonous and say, well, let me elevate all the sparks around me? Well, if you're gluttonous, you're most likely not elevating the sparks around you. Gluttony is not considered elevation, gluttony is not holy. Elevation means when you take something and you use it for good. That's what it means to elevate something. You're taking it and using it for good, right? Just for example, if you take a staple, a stapler, and you staple a Torah book, you've elevated the staple. But if you take the staple and you staple, uh, I don't know something not holy, it's it's not holy. That being said, there was a story, a very interesting story. Uh, there was once a, a very, very fascinating story I read today. There was once um, a Jew who. Uh, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shemta, Rabbi Yisrael, the the one time had a vision that uh, there's a Jew in town who, who he was told will get to the same level of heaven as you Baal Shemta wanted to meet this man so he goes into the town he meets this person he sees this person as a very, gent- uh, very boorish person very lowly person coarse person and not only that simple peasant, and he was very gluttonous, he would, he, you know, he was the type of guy that would go to a heart attack cafe, you know, he was always eating, and filling his fill, and the Valshento couldn't figure out uh, what was so special about this man, and so finally, um, the Valshento came to him and says, tell me, what is so special about you, why, you know, All I can see is that you eat all day. What extraordinary things do you do? And he says, I'm not sure. I don't feel myself extraordinary. But he says, I'll tell you, I do eat a lot. That's the only thing I do very well. I eat a lot. I says, I'll tell you why. He says, because my father, there was once a pogrom many, many years ago. And my father was dragged from from his bed, brought to the synagogue and burned alive. Because he refused to bow down to the cross. But when he burned, my father was skin and bones. He didn't have much to burn. He went very quickly. So, so I made a decision then that if God forbid they ever come to me and they want to burn me for God's sake, I'll make sure I'll be burning for a long time. That was his feeling. It sounds a little morbid, but it's the idea that he was eating for the sake of God in his very simplistic way, because that was his level. But he was eating for the sake of God. He said, I am going to eat so that if God forbid the day should come, they'll, they'll have what to burn. Shouldn't Shouldn't go so quick. My point, though, is really from that story is not you shouldn't eat gluttonously unless you're at that level where eating gluttonously is really something holy for you. Uh, they, they tell once a story the Rebbe Rashab Lefit Chabad Rebbe was once uh, trying to eat something with a fork and he kept picking it up and it kept falling. You know, like anybody here ever eats some pieces of pasta, right? It happens. So finally, it fell down a couple of times and he says, it doesn't want, meaning this, this piece, this food doesn't want to be elevated. It's not ready to be elevated. So it keeps falling off. And, uh, you know, they tell another story. I'm just trying to bring an idea of what I'm saying here. They tell another story that um, one time the Baal Shem Tov was visiting a town. And there was a person that was in that town that was very, very, uh, he made sure that on Shabbos, he would always eat. He made sure on Shabbos he would always eat lots of food. So he was sitting on Shabbos. And uh, he would eat, you know, and then and, and, and cold cuts and, and all the food, but it was all, he would say, it's all for the sake of Shabbos, because Shabbos is supposed to eat good food. And the Baal Shentav put his arms around his students and they saw a vision that this person was dressed in their Shabbos clothing, but it had transformed into a cow. In other words, he was saying, it's not really for Shabbos. It was for you. You're blaming it on Shabbos. But really eating can be something very well and that's what you've been saying here before we eat we need to ask ourselves and this is really what i wanted to say this is a way to walk away and really take something practical before you sit down to eat, think you ask yourself this question and when you answer it then you're ready to eat. You ask yourself this question you say like this why did god create me with the need to eat every couple hours why now if you're eating every few minutes and you ask yourself a question you'll probably answer i probably don't need to eat every few minutes right but assuming you're eating every couple hours Ask yourself, a why did God make me that I need to eat every couple hours? And then you'll have, it, it makes you pause for a moment to think, for what purpose? Why can't I just go my life? Why am I wasting so much time eating? And when you answer that question, in whichever way you're going to answer it, whether you're going to answer it so God can make me grateful, so that God can make me healthy, so that I can elevate the sparks inside of here, so that I can burn better at the stake, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever the meaning behind your eating the food is when you answer that question then you're ready to eat then you're ready to eat and that is how you bring god into your eating so just by answering the simple question it's a question of Shabbat. you mind really when you think about it why did god make me that i need eat every couple hours doesn't god have better things for me to do study torah do mitzvahs every couple hours i'm tethered to the kitchen and we need to spend so much time gathering that food and putting it together and when you can answer that question you eat holy what it says about you is really something amazing and i want to
1: don't tell me my screen is not sharing now um uh, this. Um, let me see. I'm just trying to share with you.
0: It's not letting me share the screen. That's great. <laughs> um, all right, I'll have to read you the text. What can I say? Um I'm gonna try one one more thing. Um
1: uh, see if this works. Let's close chat. It doesn't want to work for me. Okay, so I'm going to have to read you the text. This is
0: text number five for those who have a student book. And it says like this. There always has to be something, right? Um, So the text says like this. There's a way to position eating as an act akin to offering a sacrifice to God. For example, you eat a marbled beef and drink fragrant, fragrant wine for the sake of broadening your mind to understand God and His Torah. He's saying, if you're eating so that, you know, you know, good food can make you in a good mood. So he's saying, let's say you're eating good food, but you're eating it so you can feel relaxed and then sit at the rabbi's class and then and, and, and take in everything that he's saying. Okay, let's say, for example, Or to fulfill the mitzvah of enjoying Shabbos. So maybe you're eating good food to enjoy Shabbos. And the festivals with good foods and beverages. When eaten in such a way, the meat and wine are sublimated. And he says it is like, and this is says in the Hebrew, not in English. It is like a offering, a sacrifice to God. When you eat in the proper way, this is if you brought a sacrifice to God. Why is he comparing it to sacrifice? Just the sacrifice was food that was brought on the altar to God. The food that you are eating in a holy manner is as holy as a sacrifice. Conversely, if you eat meat gluttonously, simply for corporal pre- pleasure, the energy you derive from that food or beverage is temporarily dragged down into the clutches of negative energy that obstruct God. And so the choice is really up to us before we eat. Will we ask ourselves that question? Will we ask ourselves? How did God make it any need to eat? What's the point of eating now? And I tried it tonight before I was preparing the class. I had some really good food in front of me, but I, I thought about it. Thank God my wife made something very nice, but I thought about it. And I, I you know, although I would have normally eaten five plates of it, I only ate two plates, uh, but you know, it was, is good food, but why am I eating it? I'm eating it so I can have energy to come to the class, give the class so I can be in a good mood. When I give the class, so I can think of good jokes. That's why, that's what, that's the reason why we're eating. And that's really um, I think the easiest way to think of this meditation. Now it's not easy to bring purpose into your eating, and we gave different ideas that can help you bring meaning into your eating. But just asking yourself that question, why did God make it that I have to eat? Yes, it helps fulfill fully imagine. Why did God make that I have to eat? And there could be many reasons. Like I said, there could be many reasons. Uh, why did God make it that we have to eat? And maybe I think God makes it that we have to eat because otherwise nobody would come to shul. Sometimes I think, you know, if if honestly, if you come to shul because of the kiddush, that's fine. It, accept it. Say, you know, that's 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 okay. The, the, the kiddush is making me come to The sushi is making me hear the Megillah. Okay, that, that, that's already a level of purpose. Is it the highest level of purpose where it's is no, but we're not aiming for perfection over here. We are eating Eating to live or live to eat. Ah, very good. We are eating to live. We're eating to live. Very good. We are eating to um have to run to catch a plane. Always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure when you eat. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, okay. So we got to eat to live. Let's move on to sleeping. So I think eating, we have our idea. Just bring purpose into your eating before you eat. Always think, why did God make that I have to eat right now? Why is he making me hungry? Okay. The answer can be maybe because uh, he wants you to come to hear the McGillory at at synagogue. It's okay. Perfectly fine. It's something. All right. Now we'll get into sleeping. That will be step number two. So here's my question. Why? Ah, you're in Thailand. Grateful for every meal. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, All right. Why did the man stand for this last stand for this joke? Why did the man eat yeast
1: and shoe polish before going to bed? Why did the man eat yeast and shoe polish before going to bed? So he could rise and shine. Oh,
0: <laughs> sorry about that. That was great. Okay. Oh. <laughs> on the
1: roll.
0: I'm on a roll, right? Yeah, yeah. No, mayonnaise is on, uh, margin is on a roll, but uh, okay. So yeah, yeah, sorry about that, but uh, I couldn't resist. Um, So isn't it crazy when you think about, all right, enough about food, right? It's crazy that we have to eat every couple hours, but really food doesn't take up as much as the next big ticket item, which is sleeping. Sleeping takes up tons of our time. Why does God make it that we need to sleep? We need to ask ourselves that question. Why does God make it that we need to sleep? So let's pause for a moment. Let's ask this question, whether in person or on Zoom. Imagine if you were offered a magical pill that will enable you to function without sleeping. Would you take it? Again, imagine tonight you could take a pill that would let you work the whole night or stay up, whatever it is that you want to do. You wouldn't feel tired at all. Imagine you could do that. Would you take such a pill? Yes, you mm-hmm. take a bill, you'd yeah, stay up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some people are saying no, some people yes. Um. Yeah, if no negative repercussions. Okay. Yeah, you must be a uh, diplomat. That's a diplomatic answer. Okay. <laughs> politician, politician, right? It's uh, a good answer, though. Um, okay. So we got mixed answers over here. Um, so the simplest reason we're designed to sleep is uh, as you said if there's no negative repercussions yes there would be a negative repercussion if we were to take a pill uh we would not have a fresh start every single day god makes it that we need to go to sleep that way we can start a new day afresh ever have a bad day anybody ever had a bad day probably not but just in case anybody ever had a bad day you go to sleep you wake up you feel a little different you feel like you're starting a new day. you got the reset button. It's like your phone, right? You got get reset you know your phone is having a bad time or like my computer over here. I would restart it, but then we'd, you'd all be, uh, you'd all be lost over here forever. So imagine um, you'd be lost in the uh, Zoom land, wherever that is. Um, so imagine you uh, never went to sleep. I, life would become this one long, I think at some point unbearable uh, existence. You know, it would, uh, not to mention your kids would bother you all, all day. That's a whole other story. That's honest, uh, <laughs> Um, Imagine my kids never went to sleep. That's a bigger question. Uh, okay, assuming my kids went to sleep. Still, it, it wouldn't give you the fresh start. And this is, in fact, uh, said in the prayers that we say when we wake up. Two prayers that we say when we wake up. One of them is, of course, the Moda Ani. When we say in the morning, Moda Ani moda'ani. We thank God for returning our soul to us. That means our soul left and it came back. It's a new me. But more than that, there's another blessing that we say in the morning, Asher Yatzar. We say the blessing of Asher Yatzar. Asher Yatzar means who formed us or who created us. And that is because, again, we feel every single morning as if we are formed and created anew. And although this is natural and this is what happens, the awareness of this allows you to appreciate it more. And so, this is the first step in sleeping with purpose. When you go to sleep, go to sleep with the awareness that. This is allowing you to start a fresh day the next day. Which really is not something to think about just when you wake up, but it also changes the way you go to sleep. Again, realizing that a new day gives you a new fresh start changes not only the way you wake up, but also the way you go to sleep. They used to say in uh, Hasidic circles, they would say... uh, you now some people they would wake up on the, you know what they call on the wrong side of the bed, right? They' wake up in a bad mood or you know so the, the Hasidim used to say, more in divine service of God when people would wake up, you know, and you know, not necessarily feeling very spiritual, they said, what's the, what's the surprise? If you go to sleep like a horse, you'll wake up like a horse. In other words, the way you go to sleep is the way you wake up. So even though naturally a new day is a fresh day, But there's a way that you can make a new day a fresh day. And that is something that we're supposed to do every single night. Every single night, we're supposed to say the Shema. And before we say the Shema, we're supposed to have what's called a cheshbon Hanefis. We're supposed to have an accounting of our day. We're supposed to take a moment. You know, a lot of people do journaling at the end of their day. You're supposed to take a moment and think, what went wrong during this day? What went good during this day? How can I improve it? Looking forward to a new day. Otherwise, time can become a continuum. Nothing, there's an old saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes, Right. If you don't take a pause at the end of the day to think about what went good, what went bad, then you cannot necessarily create the fresh day better than the day before. You'll just end up with the same issues that you had the previous day. And the Zohar asks us to do this every single night. This is text number eight, and I'm gonna obviously not show it on the screen because I can't. Although maybe I can, uh, I don't know if you can see it over
1: there. Uh, No, it's also gonna be
0: backwards, right? So it doesn't really work. Although I can probably mirror it. But either way, okay. Um, So it goes like this. Um, The Zohar says like this, before lying down to sleep each night, we should take stock of our deeds throughout the day. We should repent for whatever we did wrong and ask for compassionate forgiveness. That's what the Zohar says. It says, before you go to sleep, take stock of the day. We all know we do this before Rosh Hashanah. Think about it like a business. Every business does this, right? They have... You know, the end of the fiscal year, they take a full stock of everything. Then they have quarterly where they take stock. And every day they take a small stock of what's gone on. And the same thing as in Judaism. We have Rosh Hashanah. We take a big stock. Then every Rosh Chodesh, before Rosh Chodesh month, we're supposed to take stock, which is, by the way, tonight, tonight's Rosh Chodesh. So by the way, those who are praying tonight, tomorrow, and the next day, make sure you say Rosh Chodesh prayer is a little bit different. Um, and then um, every single night we should take stock. Another element as we just mentioned here built into the nightly ritual is also forgiving people. And that also enables you to start the next day fresh. If you open up the prayer book and you look at the prayer of the evening Shema, you'll see there's a preface over there which talks about, forgive. you know, behold, I forgive anybody that I made upset. So something to think about every single night, letting go of everything that allows you to start your next day fresh. So yes, each morning is a little bit like a new Rosh Hashanah. But now let's take this a little more spiritual. That was just generally sleeping with purpose and thinking about how to live a purposeful life. But let's take it another level. Let's take it to the mystical level. The mystics tell us that a soul is trapped in a body and it it doesn't really like, it's not so excited about the body existence, you know, the food, the lasagna, the whatever it is that you eat, it's trapped in a body consciousness. Imagine a soul is a spiritual being and it's trapped in a body consciousness. When, it go, when you go to sleep, your soul gets to spend time being itself. Think about it like this. Imagine you're a parent. You spend three, four hours at nighttime with your kids. And when they go to sleep, you finally can uh, sit on the couch and just be yourself. The soul has the same thing. It's with the body the whole day. Oh, I'll give a better example. Uh, was, uh, I, I just did the Shabbaton with the teenagers Okay, imagine being with they and they don't sleep that much. imagine being with teens all the time. I mean, like when they finally go to sleep, like ah, I have a couple hours to be myself, right? Um, yeah, you know, I have a whole new respect for parents who are teenagers. It's, uh so they didn't realize I forgot what I was like when I was a teenager, reckless and no I'm kidding, god forbid, not reckless, it's just we think differently as teenagers, but, anyways. Um, so when you fall asleep, but by the way, teenagers also uh because they think differently, they're also like most prone to change and really changing the world. They really do have a lot of, uh, uh, everything is the upside and downside, everything in life. Either way, I, I, what I'm trying to say is I'm not knocking teams. Um, so when you go to sleep, your soul basically says, ah, I'm done babysitting that body. Let me go, uh, head up and, uh, let me go spend some time in, in heaven. So that's what happens when you go to sleep. And uh, that's actually one of the famous prayers that we say when we go to sleep. You ever hear this prayer, Biadha afkid ruchi. towards the end of the Shema prayer. Many parents say with their kids, Biadcha afkid ruchi, that before we go to sleep, we say, God, I'm placing my soul in your hand. Because when we go to sleep, the soul, so to speak, gets to be spiritual. It gets this recharge. It goes to heaven. And so therefore, when we go to sleep, instead of just plopping into bed or thinking about, oh, I love to sleep, they tell the story of uh, a gentleman who was one time sleeping in a synagogue. You know, back in the day, people would pass the towns and sleep in the synagogue. He was sleeping on a uh, on a single bench. And somebody kept falling off. Somebody came to him and says, you know, if you're sleeping on a bench, just put two benches together. You won't fall off. He says, listen, what's the best part of going to sleep? Going to sleep. Here, I get to fall asleep multiple times in one night. But, you know, so... Uh, When we go to sleep, it's not just about the pleasure of going to sleep. It's not just about uh, this is what we do at the end of the day. But again, we need to ask ourselves the question before we go to sleep. Why did God make it that I need to sleep? And so when we think about it and when we say, no, I'm going to sleep because, A, I need to feel better tomorrow morning. So let me take stock of what I did today so tomorrow can be a brand new day. And on top of that, my soul needs to recharge so it can energize me throughout the day. It's really a divine act that you're doing right now. You're allowing your soul um, to go to heaven and and spend some time there and allow it some time. So not only is your body recharging when you sleep, but really your soul gets to recharge when you go to sleep. Now, you may not notice the difference, but really, uh, that's why, for example, the prayers in the morning are longer. You know, your soul is more recharged in the morning and it gets gets tired out through the day. Your body wears it down. So that is that is uh sleeping mindful being mindful when you sleep so again before you go to sleep ask yourself why did god make it that i spend a lot of my days sleeping why didn't he let me do another you know a bunch of myths as well? i said why couldn't i go around giving charity the whole night and so you think about all these things we need to have we need to have a break we need to recharge our soul needs to recharge and uh, on top of that of course just even if you're just thinking at least i need to go to sleep to be healthy for the next day any of those things will give you purpose in your sleeping and now we come to the third and final uh, yes exactly maybe the prayers are longer in the morning because your soul has been closer to the source of all night correct now we get to the third level which is work and uh they tell the story uh there were one time two employees who were uh working at a very hard job and uh, eventually working at hard jobs for many long hours can make you go a little bit sugar a little crazy So the boss one time walks into the office and he has two employees in there. One of them is dangling from the ceiling. So uh, he asks him, uh, what are you doing dangling from the ceiling? He says, oh, I'm a light bulb. He says, "Uh, you've been here for too long. Go home and go rest up and come back when you feel better. And then the second employee gets up and starts to walk out. And he says, why are you walking? out?" He says, look, the light went off. It's too dark in here. (laughs) So work, work takes up a lot of our time. And um, I think really work is, is, in a sense, the biggest question. Uh, I really think, in a sense, it, it takes up the biggest part of our life. Work takes up not only the biggest time in our life, but also the, a lot of our mental capacity is spent on work. And so why did God make it in a way that just to survive, just to have food, we need to spend all these hours on schooling and all these hours at work? Uh what's the point in it all? You know, just to get money, just to have money. What type of cruel plan did God have over here to make us just work and work and work just so we could have some bread on the table? Just, just let us be like animals, let us be able to eat raw food, let us be able to uh eat grass. What's that joke? There was um there's a lawyer. You probably heard this one. There's a lawyer, he's he's driving on the, the side of the highway and he sees a family very impoverished family on the side of the highway eating grass. uh, He comes over to them. He says, "Ah, you know, you're out here eating grass. They say, well, listen, look, we don't have anything else to eat. Uh, We're eating grass. He says, okay, come in my car. I'll take care of you. So they all get in his car and they say, "Uh, Mr. Wow. Mr. Lawyer, thank you so much for taking us in your car. So kind of you. Uh, Where are you taking us to? He says, Oh, I'm taking you to my house. You'll love it there. The grass is so tall. (laughs) All right, that's a lawyer joke. Um, Honest profession. Um, So either way, uh, you know, there's a lot of Monday jokes, a lot of jokes about uh, people working. How do we approach work? And really, it's a question about money. Money, work. uh, A lot of people have a bad relationship both with work and money, some with one, some without the other. Uh, Why did God make it that we have this dependency on work and money? So... I heard a fascinating um, insight today, but before I get to that, um, when you think you most people, when they go to work, they're not mindful that They just know you need to go to work. People, we go to work. We go to work. We go to work. So why do we go to work? We go to work so we can have money to survive, so we can take care of our family. That would be another step. But that would already be, that would already be a little bit being mindful of why you're working. Being mindful. Why am I working? So I can, Um, have money for my family and for my loved ones and all the things that I'd like to take care of. But then there's more to it because if if money is just a way of taking care of your loved ones, then what if, let's say you're single? What if you you, uh, uh, don't have any reason to work? Let's say, what if you won the lottery? So, I, I heard something fascinating like this. So, I was listening to Rabbi Manis Friedman. I was listening to him today. The JLI has a direction I want to take, this, but I was listening to Manus Friedman today. It's a fascinating insight. He said, like this, he said, um, Why do we need to go to work? Because God wants us to get out of our. God creates money and work so that we have interactions with others. Imagine if we never had to go to work, we never had to work for anything. You'd have like what happened during the pandemic. A lot of people, they would get checks in the mail, the government, they would sit in the house all day. And uh, God has a mission for each and every single one of us to be done in different areas. some people will have a lot of money and they'll have a certain sphere of influence. Some people have less money and they'll have a certain sphere of influence too. But God creates work and money so that we get out, so that we have human connections, so that we connect with people and places and things. And it enables us to bring something to this world because if we could just survive without doing anything we would just be existing and that's another differentiation there's a difference between existing and living kind of what somebody said earlier eating to live or live to eat but what does it mean to exist exist all it means is that you take up space exist means that you are to exist means you're focusing on your needs somebody who lives to exist that's not a life if you just work to have money that's called exist to have money to eat and to have clothing and to have a shelter, that's called existing. It's not called living. You're taking up space. You work so that you can have so you can have money, so you can be in this world. Living means you're here to do something. Living means you are on this earth to bring something to this world. You don't just exist on this world, you are doing something in this world. And so that's really what work is about. Work is about not just. I have enough money to put bread on the table. Work is about what is it that I can bring to the world? Or as the Rebbe once told somebody, stop thinking about what you need and think about what you're needed for. Too many people go to work thinking about their needs. And that's a horrible life to live. If you just go to work so you have enough to live, that's a difficult life because first of all, it's hard to get what you need to live. It's not so easy. It takes a lot of hours. And And then what happens? So you just are. So you just live. So you're there. So yeah, you're here in this world. You know, but when you when you go to work, yes, you need money to live. But why are you living for all the things that you can bring to this world, whether it is in your workplace, whether it's outside of your workplace? That's called living. Living just to survive is called existing. That's why you find people who win a lot of money or win the lottery or, or have made a lot of money. None of them can sit down and do nothing. Uh, and if you do, you, you wither away very quickly. It's within human nature to seek meaning and to seek purpose. However, when we're in the grind, when we're barely making it, or maybe we're so obsessed in making a lot of money, whichever way it is, sometimes we're not mindful of that. In other words, people who have made tons of money suddenly have to think, wait, so what am I doing with my life? But sometimes when we're so stuck in the grind of making money, we can lose sight of why we're making the money and just focus on on, on existing. And we have to start thinking about living, and not thinking about just our needs, but thinking what are we needed for. And again, it's within human nature. Human nature is such that we seek meaning, but sometimes we get too caught up in the day-to-day life that we forget about it. We get lost in the hamster wheel. We get lost in
1: um, we get lost in the day-to-day grind. yeah oh yes yes we have we had a class
0: once yes so now i'll just bring a couple ideas into work Yes. Yeah, so that's one of them a couple ideas into work so why does god make it that we need to work so let's there's a couple layers over here so you have text number 10 sorry not number 10 there's um actually it's not a text it's something that we've spoken about in a previous class and that is that when we work for something it may actually be text Yeah, it's text number 12. We only appreciate something when we work for it. Work brings appreciation. Things that come easy, we don't appreciate. That's why people win the lottery. They lose all their money very quickly. Uh, The Talmud tells us that people like their own hard work more than getting a lot of money from somebody else. You had that great example. There was one somebody who was working in the field. We we showed it in a different JLI class. He was working in the field and cutting the uh, wheat. And the king offered him, why don't you do the same motion in my office? And I'll, you know, I love the way you swing. That it looks so amazing. Do it in my office, and I'll pay you for it the same amount of money you were making before. And he tried it, and after a couple of days, he got bored of it because when we're not doing anything, when we're not constructively adding anything into this world, we uh, we're not bringing anything into this world. So on top of that, uh, we see many texts that that work is a great thing um moses said let me go back and, and guard the sheep moses was a person who was you know had a work ethic it says all the great sages they used to work and let me read you a text from avot the this is a uh, chapter of like ethics text number 11 love work do not despise it just as god gave us the torah along with a divine covenant regarding its observance so did god give us a covenant regarding our mundane work as the torah states six days you shall work and perform all your labor. And the seventh day is Shabbat to God. And so what this is saying is that God wants us to work every single day. And it's a mitzvah. And was just as the Torah tells us, you should rest on the seventh day. The Torah tells us six days of the week we have to work. The labor itself is a mitzvah. That's something that God wants us to do. It's a mitzvah to work. And again, what are the reasons? Well, one reason, as, as Keturah says, we can find the sparks there. Another reason we can say is uh, God wants us to appreciate the fruits of our labor. Uh, but let's bring it another level. And the other level is, in work, we can see God greater than in holy things. You can see God's presence within day-to-day life then more than you can see in holy things, but you have to have the right glasses on. Um, there was once a uh, chassid follower of the Rebbe Marash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, came to his Rebbe, and the Rebbe told him, I envy you, because you, you go to work, you get to see God everywhere. You know, you, when you can see God, now, what does he mean when you think about it? How many of us see God everywhere in our work? I know a couple of people, Rick was on before, he sees God everywhere. How come many of us don't see God everywhere? Why is it that many of us, what was the, what was the fourth Chabad Rebbe saying? You know, I'm so, you're so lucky, you get to go to work, you see God everywhere. I sit and study all day, I don't see God. You go to work, you see God everywhere. The answer is you have to look for him. Let me tell you, you have to be obsessed with him. Let me, let me say you have to be obsessed with him. So for example, you ever see somebody who's obsessed with sports? They see sports everywhere, right? So if you're, if you're, if your kid's not uh, behaving three strikes and you're out, uh, you tell, you t- you know, uh, you tell your wife, I'm, I'm going to come pinch it for you. I'm going to, you know, put the kids to bed or, you know, it's the fourth, oh. bottom, bottom of the fourth quarter or something, you know, if, you, if you're a sports person, you see it everywhere. If we, if God, if we've meditated on God, as we have from the previous lessons, taking God as a real entity, then you will see God more. You will see God in your life more. You'll see him in many of the things you do every single moment. If anybody here ever met Rick, he's one of those guys, he's got everywhere, but there are people that, that see God everywhere. And you can see God more in a palpable way because when you sit in the study hall and you contemplate about God, you've understood the concept of God. But you're not seeing God in action. When you go to work and you see God there, now you're seeing God in action. That's a whole nother level. That's seeing what God does, not just understanding intellectually and knowing and appreciating God, but now you've gotten to see God in action. And so when we go to work, I think I've just given you a bunch of different ways of looking at it. Is you go to work, first of all, realize that working is a mitzvah. God wants us to work. And so, first of all, you're doing a mitzvah when you work. Second of all, think about how when you go to work, you have the ability. To get in contact with people, your mission may be with people. There's lots of missions that you could be doing with them. And third of all, when you work, you can see God in so many different areas. And on top of that, you can bring God to other people. You have a special, unique sphere
1: of influence. And um, like, I, like, I—that um, is
0: really what bechol That is what bechol is. Is that? is that living with God every single moment. If we take the moment and we ask ourselves, why does God, if you ask yourself in the morning, why does God want me to go to work today? Then you get to the work, let's say you're in banking and you're inputting all the numbers. I'm not saying yet that you'll find meaning in every single part of your work, but this will already add to it. In general, you can see God wants me to work hard. And when I work hard, then I appreciate the money that I made. This is another meditation. And then you can, when you take that money that you worked hard on, and you give it to charity. That's giving away your hard earned work to God. That's elevating the hard work that you did. On top of that, the, the influence that you have with other people, the way you can change other people's lives. It doesn't have to be necessarily mitzvah changing. It could be uh, a good word to a colleague in need. There's so many different ways that we can affect the people around us. Could be that you just go around saying, thank God. A couple of years ago, I started, I don't know how long ago, but you know, usually I say, Baruch Hashem, you say, thank God, you meet people who speak English, you say, thank God. Uh, the Christians go around saying it, right? Why can't we as Jews go around saying thank God? Somebody asks you, how are you doing? Thank God, good. Thank God, well, there was a story the Baal Shemto um, One time came to a town, and there was in that town, there was somebody called a hermit, a Jewish hermit. hermit was... Not hermit the, the crab. What was it? He, the hermit the frog. No, he was a hermit. Uh, uh, Kermit, Kermit. Okay.
1: Kermit, uh, Hermit. Iceberg, iceberg. <laughs> Um,
0: So, so the uh, yeah, yeah. There was a hermit in the town. He would sit and study Torah all day, and the balfanto came to him, and he he tried to stop him for a moment. And he says, "Uh, how are you doing? The guy says, go away. The father says, I want to know, how are you doing? And he says, go away. And uh, the boss looked at him and says, listen to me. He says, why are you denying God his livelihood? He says, just as we human beings, we need our livelihood. What does God like? God likes when we praise him for the things that we have. And so when somebody asks you, how are you doing at work? Thank God, things are going okay. You know, when we praise God for the things that we have, um we are involved we are deepening god's involvement within this world so in other words if i am mindful of god when i work i am now getting god involved in the stock exchange i'm getting god involved in the university i'm getting god involved in the dental industry i'm getting god involved in every single in music industry i'm getting god involved in every single area of the world through our work and me being a person that is mindful of god i can bring god into many places that the rabbi and the synagogue cannot do because he's not in those places. You have the ability through your work to bring out just being also a mitzvah, obviously, to work honestly. There are many, many different ways. But just being mindful of God while you work, you're bringing God into everything that you're doing. And this is what it says. It says when we come to heaven, it says one of the questions they're going to ask us this is in text number four. Ha'im nasata b'amuna. Did you conduct business faithfully? Now, the technical meaning of that means did you, were you honest? But the Baal Shemtov says, no. What does it mean? Did you conduct business faithfully? Did you conduct business while thinking of your faith in God? When you were sitting in your business, were you mindful of God's presence? Were you obsessed with God to the point where you saw God in all of that you worked? There was once a, a famous chassid. But Yamed Kletzker, a chassid, was once rebbe, he was once, uh, he was once uh, doing, it says he would do his business. And when he, he was like a CEO of a company of, 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 uh, of uh, selling logs selling wood and uh one time he was sitting there and uh they had a business question for him and uh you know he was contemplating and then he ends off, ain't old milvado you know he he said you know he he, they asked him business question, he answered you know there's nothing but god that's how he that's how he ran his business now it's probably not a great business but obviously he did okay with it but that's really the idea is you know many of us think about food when we pray it wouldn't be a bad idea if we thought of god um uh, you know wouldn't be a bad idea about thinking of god when we work it's not a bad idea right we, we all we all think about everything else when we pray and I, i've said this many times right uh when we learn everything else comes to mind you ever like try and sit down and learn and suddenly your phone becomes the most attractive thing it's like there's all the text messages that you have to that you have to do all the people that you had to get back to uh they suddenly come flooding in at you all right suddenly oh there's all, all these things when when rabbis class at 7 30 wednesday night there's all these other important uh, things that have to get done, even though the rabbi only gives a class once a week. But there's all I actually sorry, <laughs> I actually give a class a couple times. I give for those who want to know, I give Sabbath afternoon, Sunday morning. Now there's a Tanya, well, there's a Tanya sometimes, Monday. and then Monday sometimes, and then there's a Wednesday. So, anyways, but there's plenty of classes online. Um, but again, the idea again here is before you work, take a moment, and this is really what meditation is about meditation is about changing your mindset and being mindful of what's about to happen. So before you work, you think, why am I about to go to work? Now, for some people, their work is very meaningful. So you're a doctor, you're saving lives. But even then, there's minutiae over there. Um, But regardless of what you're in, remember, why does God think? Why did God, just ask yourself this question. Why did God make it this cruel trick that we human beings have to spend so much of our time working? And when you think about it and you come to the answer, And you can go from a very basic answer to a more generous answer. Then you will be elevating your daily grind of your work. And so today we have really ideas and meditations that can help us spend not just uh, our holy time thinking about God and not just contemplating about God when we pray and hoping to see in the rest of the day, but really Every single major part of our day, whether we are eating, whether we're sleeping, whether we're working, before we do any of those, take a split second and ask, why does God make me do this? Why did God make me do this? And then you can live up to the ideal that we spoke about in the beginning of the class, to know God in all your ways, whether you're eating, whether you're sleeping, whether you are working. Now, this is a very big ideal, and it's not very easy, and I mentioned lots and lots of ideas. And you can find more meaning in all of these things. I can only present a couple here and there's videos that are connected to this class. But regardless, um, try and bring more meaning into every single aspect of your life. And I think really that's the key question to remember. Ask yourself, why did God put me here? Why am I here right now? Why am I here sitting in front of this plate of delicious lasagna? Why did God do this to me? Why couldn't I just be studying Torah? Now that may not be a question that bothers you. Uh, why am I not studying Torah? But at least ask yourself the question, why did God make it that I, as a human being, need to eat, need to sleep, need to have fun, need to go on vacation, and then you can bring meaning and purpose, whether it's from the most basic level, that I can be healthy, that I can serve my family, that I can serve my community, or something else. And this way, as Keturah says very beautifully, we can all be a conduit to bring God here on this earth, and maybe very soon speedily see God here on this earth, with the coming of Mashiach. May it happen speedily in our days. Amen. So thank you all for coming. I'm going to pause the recording. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask it.